makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thank you, Jake. So grateful for God's work in you and what he is doing and what he is preparing you for. We certainly want to come alongside of him and give him opportunity to stand before you to declare God's word as well. I've known him his entire life, and to hear him speak with that deep voice is just weird. <laughs> He's no longer little Jake anymore. Uh, God is, is maturing him and doing it well. But we're focusing on the third verse of this favorite psalm of yours, probably. It's the 23rd psalm. And in verse 3, he says, He restores my soul, and he leads me the path of righteousness for his namesake. Now, if you haven't memorized the 23rd Psalm, I certainly hope that you will by the time we conclude this little series, because I believe it's one of those that we can meditate on, or our word for last week, ruminate on it, and really receive a lot of great nutritional value, spiritually and otherwise, from this psalm. Kay chased me a little bit about the psalm. She's writing some notes in the margins of her bible and she says randy i have no other room for any other writings in the 23rd psalm are you going to give us a lot to write about today and i said oh you're probably going to need to turn the page because there's some great depth to each of these now if we're going to understand the depth of the psalm we are going to have to read it and think about it from the perspective of the shepherd because that's the way it was written you know, david wrote this psalm and David, as you know, we know him as being the king of Israel and the greatest king of all time, but certainly before he was king of Israel, he was a shepherd. And God was nurturing him as a shepherd. In the kingdom of God, it's very common for God to use shepherds to develop their heart, to develop their skill, to develop them as men in order that they might lead his people well in the kingdom of God. And David is one of those. You know several more in the scripture in fact the patriarchs of israel are that abraham isaac and jacob were all shepherds and you recognize their nomadic way of life as being herdsmen or shepherds uh, you know others including moses the great leader who rescued the people as the redeeming agent of god out of the land of egypt and their slavery and brought them into the wilderness towards the promised land and he was a great leader for them but for 40 years in Midian with his father-in-law, he was a shepherd of his father-in-law's sheep. And God was nurturing him and developing him for those four decades so that he might be the leader. The first prophet that we have any writings about, Amos, was a shepherd as well. He was a shepherd in the wilderness, or what we and I would call the desert, in the wilderness of Judea. So God fashions men that he wants to lead his people, and he often fashioned them through the idea of being a shepherd and nurturing them through that because God knew that shepherding was a great training ground for leadership in the kingdom of God. And if you think about what a shepherd has to do and what skill he has to have, you'll recognize he has to have great management skill. 
He has to be self-surrendered. He's given himself to the sheep 24-7. He has to have foresight and advanced planning and good work ethic and humility. And so God felt that if someone could lead sheep well, that person could lead people well. And he would nurture them to do just that. Outside of Jesus Christ, who is known as the Good Shepherd, David is probably the most well-known shepherds in the Bible. Remember, he's the youngest of Jesse's sons. And when Samuel the prophet came to anoint the king in the household of Jesse, uh, Samuel did what most people would do. He started working from the oldest all the way down. And he got through all the sons of Jesse, and he didn't sense that the Spirit of God was moving him to anoint any of them. And he basically says, uh, do you not have any more sons? And he says, oh, I've got one, my youngest, the ruddy one. He's out in the fields as a shepherd. And, of course, Samuel said, bring him. And immediately the Spirit of God let the prophet know that he would be the one that would be the king. But long before he was king, he was the family shepherd. Uh, one of several, but he's the one that's tending to the sheep there close by at the household. And uh, he's one that has risked his own life to rescue sheep. Later we understand that when it came that a, a predator was trying to attack the sheepfold, it was David who had rescued the sheep from a lion or even from the, the grip of a bear. It was David who was self-sacrificing in order that the sheep might be cared for well. He was alert to thieves and fierce animals alike, and that was very common for them to have to be constantly on guard for the sheep. But maybe one of the dangers that you might not recognize about sheep and shepherds is the idea that sheep can actually get cast. Uh, maybe you and I would say downcast. And, and what that means is the sheep can actually turn upside down on their back and when they are like that they're absolutely pathetic here's one in the field that is what is called cast and uh, I know what you're thinking that's a trained sheep no 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 uh, when the weight of the wool gets a little overbearing for them or maybe it's an overweight sheep or maybe it's one who is pregnant uh, and it's heavy if it lies down in the field or if it falls in the field or if it's in a depression of the field that sheep can actually get cast and turn with its legs upward and that kind of looks cute to us but for them it's the potential of death because if you think about what's going on there uh, I never thought I'd preach a, a message on the digestive systems of sheep but last week turned out to be that didn't it uh, you know that in a grazing, uh, a sheep that has been grazing, that forage is actually first put in the four-part chamber of the stomach called the rumen, and it's in there that all that enzyme activity begins to work. And if you know anything about the enzyme workings, it creates gas. And sheep actually belch that out. But when a sheep is cast... That gas builds up because the enzymes continue to do their work and it cannot expel that. That causes great swelling within the sheep and restricts blood flow to the sheep and makes it where the extremities are losing blood flow very quickly. Uh, that doesn't go on long before the sheep is in trouble. And if it's in the heat of the day, without food and without water, that sheep will die. And, of course, it is most vulnerable to its prey 
while it's in that position. And so vultures could actually come down and begin to eat the sheep. Coyotes, dogs, and other wild animals can come in and eat that sheep. It is in its most vulnerable place and probably most probable in the place of danger is when it is cast. It's the most common way in which a sheep can get in trouble so quickly. So a shepherd is constantly looking and watching and counting. And when he sees that one is missing, he immediately thinks that perhaps there is a sheep that is cast, and he goes looking for it. Maybe you have in your library a book written by Philip Keller. It was actually printed and made popular in the 1970s. Uh, it has been reprinted so many times. It's worth getting if you don't have a copy of it. It's really a, a great quick read for you. You can get it in a paperback form or even a hardback illustrated form. It's a great family book to have. But uh, Keller was one of those guys that was a shepherd, and, and he gained some insights in his working with sheep. And in his book, which is titled A Shepherd's Look at 23rd Psalm, he writes this. If you don't mind, I'm just going to read it for you. Uh, often I would go out early and merely cast my eyes across the sky. If I saw the black-winged buzzards circling overhead and their long, slow spirals, anxiety would grip me. Leaving everything else, I would immediately go out into the rough, wild pastures and count the flock to make sure every one was well and fit and able to be on its feet. Now, such was the drama of a shepherd. Remember when Jesus gave this parable of the shepherd? Some call it the parable of the lost sheep. But you get it in your imagination while the Lord is recounting that parable, and we read about it in Scripture, that he's counting. He's supposed to have 100. Can you imagine how many times in the day he's counting? 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, all the way up to 100. And he gets to 99, and he can't find the hundreds. Start it over again. 2, 4, 6, 8. And he goes, and he recognizes that he's missing one. And that means that one has either wandered off, gone astray in the, in the language that God uses in the scripture for us. The word, the root word there is literally, he is lost. But it could be that he is lost because he is cast. That he is in a vulnerable place. So you know what the Lord said. It reveals his own heart that he leaves the 99 in order to go find and rescue that one sheep that is either wandered astray or is cast and gone astray and its cast has been left behind and it's the lord there that goes and he restores him if he is cast he will restore him by writing him by getting him back the way he should be and then bringing him back to the fold in that he is absolutely joy filled when he finds that one sheep astray or that one sheep that was cast and he recognizes I've rescued him he is safe he's secure I'm bringing him back to the fold no wonder David when he writes the 23rd Psalm says he restores my soul there's just an exclamation with that that I have been restored by the good shepherd. I, I was astray or I was cast, turned upside down, and he has restored me. There's just such great fervor in the, in the way, in the language in which was this psalm was written. Now, if you, if you don't recognize the trouble that sheep are prone to get into, you might not think that a big deal. But I'm going to tell you that the sheep have that issue 
is good for us to know because you and I are prone to wonder. You and I are prone to be upside down, spiritually, physically, emotionally. Sometimes we're downcast for various reasons. Now, I want you to think of the word differently. Uh, downcast. I, I wrote it so many ways in the, uh, my notes and commentary that I was writing for this message. I, I wrote it as cast, which is often the way that the shepherds would write it. Uh, I wrote it as cast down, which is a description of a sheep that has been cast and is down uh, in that position. And I wrote it downcast. I'm a little bothered, if you will, about the word downcast because it comes predefined in our culture. The pre-definition of downcast, when I say that, means that uh, you have some kind of emotional thing going on. But I don't want you to narrow it down to that. Sometimes there are external pressures that come upon us, things that are not just going on in our mind, things that are coming from the outside to us, and we have no choice in the matter at all, and it can cause us to be upside down. It can cause us to be exhausted physically sick physically it can cause us to be rattled emotionally it can cause us to be down and depressed and whatever else emotion goes with that it can cause us to be spiritually upside down and get into what i would call a spiritual funk anybody ever been in that you're like lord i know i ought not think this way but this is the way i'm thinking in my spirit that's a downcast position the Apostle Paul, probably one of the strongest faithful individuals that we read about in Scripture, he had that issue as well. Look at this from 2 Corinthians. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. And if you know the, the history of that, you know they have been chased out, beat down, whipped, left for dead. I mean, this was a rough time in the life of Paul the Apostle. And he says, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. You hear that? There's pressure coming from the outside, and there is stuff going on on the inside. And Paul is saying that has turned us upside down. But God, who confronts the downcast, comforted us. That gives me a visual of what is going on in Paul's life. That he finds himself not the way he wants to be. He finds himself turned upside down. And it was pressure that was brought against him and those who were ministering side by side. And he recognizes that that position is where he is, but God has come to reset him. God has come to restore him. And when he says there at the end that God comforts the downcast, what he's saying is God writes us and he comforts us. He writes our thinking. He writes our, our emotions he writes us spiritually and he comforts us one of the great descriptions of the holy spirit comforting us is the term parakletos it means that he comes alongside of us to meet us where we are and he encourages us he builds us up he lifts us it's a great work of the holy spirit so it's not like he's saying from afar hey get your life right Instead, what he does, he comes as a good shepherd. He says, hey, you're downcast. Let me help write you. Or as David would say, let me restore you. It's not just writing, but it's bringing back into the fold of God. Perhaps 
sometimes you find yourself in that place spiritually physically emotionally it doesn't matter how healthy you are you're going to have times of physical downcast it doesn't matter how well seasoned you are you're going to have periods of emotional downcast and it doesn't matter how mature you are in your faith there will be periods of spiritual castness it just comes to us but the lord is our shepherd who restores us when we find ourselves in those places Perhaps sometimes when you're in that place of being cast, you find yourself immobilized. You are, (coughs) excuse me, vulnerable. You are frustrated. You are exhausted. And it's in those times that the good shepherd will come searching for you. And he will write you. Now let me remind you that when the shepherd seeks us and when he finds us, in those spiritual, emotional, physical states, he doesn't chide us for it. He doesn't ridicule us about it. He doesn't demean us. Instead, he restores us, he writes us, and he returns us to his fold. Now, you and I have to have the right perspective of the shepherd. You have to know what's in the shepherd's heart. You have to know the way he comes towards those sheep who are in that vulnerable place, spiritually, emotionally, physically, in any way they're vulnerable, how he approaches them. Let me tell you how he approaches them. He approaches sheep in that place because he knows sheep are vulnerable to that. You think the shepherd doesn't know that when a sheep is weighted down that it will be prone to be cast? You think that a shepherd doesn't recognize when the wool is overgrown that the sheep has potential to be cast? You you think of a pregnant ewe is not known by the shepherd to be potentially cast? Sure. You think he doesn't recognize that a sheep is prone to wonder that the sheep needs the shepherd to guide the whole flock or the whole uh, herd individually or otherwise? The shepherd knows that. Now catch this for a moment. Jesus knows your vulnerability. He knows when you are prone to be upside down emotionally. He knows when you and I are prone to be upside down physically. And he knows when we are potentially upside down spiritually. And he doesn't come and chasten us, rebuking us, For being that way, instead, with a shepherd's heart, he comes in our vulnerability and he restores us. He writes us and he brings us back into his fold and he will guide us. Hey, are you in that place today? You've been prone to wonder and you have. You have been isolated. You are cast then the good shepherd has come today to restore you. Listen, God is not aloof to you. He is not rejecting you. He is not furious with you. He's not disgusted with you. He is not even shocked by you. He knows the tendencies that we have as his sheep. And he comes to us in the midst of that difficulty. 
Maybe that's why the psalmist says in the 42nd Psalm, Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. If you're not careful, the accuser of the brethren who brings great temptation to us will lure us away, cause us to wonder, will cause us to be downcast emotionally, spiritually, physically, whatever the case. If you're not careful, you're going to think something differently about God than what he's thinking. The psalmist recognized, I need not think anything other than God is my hope. My hope is in him and that he comes to restore me. So be restored in your soul. Visiting in the land of Israel uh, made some fairly shocking discoveries, and some of them are just absolutely simple, but I just never picked up on them until I've been there. And one of those things is the climatic changes in, in a very small, tight space. For instance, it might be a little bit difficult for you to see on the screens, but... Um, the Negev Desert is this area right here, just to the west of the Dead Sea, and it is a warm place to be. Now, when we were just there a, a few weeks ago, they were experiencing a heat wave. So when we were in the Negev uh, at the Dead Sea, it was 109 degrees. I'm just telling you, that's hot. Even in and around the Dead Sea, way to the north up in here, uh, which is about the size of Weiss Lake just up the road, even at that place, uh, it was over 100 degrees while we were there. But we were in the Negev, uh, this region. It's the wilderness that the Lord was tempted by the enemy after his baptism and right as he's making his public ministry uh, known to people. He's in this area, and we were standing there, and we were overlooking this green area now we couldn't see all of that from this little mountain ridge in the Negev but we were looking over there and, and uh, I kind of had a feeling where that was because you know I've been a student of the Bible for a while so I asked our guide uh, what's that green patch over there that we're seeing and he says oh that's Jerusalem and you'll be happy when you go to Jerusalem because it's probably 25 30 degrees cooler in Jerusalem well, this is an image from Google Map from this morning, and I just took the measure on Google Map. You know how you can do that and just measure. Did you know that where we were standing at 109 degrees to Jerusalem is 15 miles? Isn't that crazy? You can just be in one section and 15 miles away, 30 degrees difference. Now, that's sort of the notion of why shepherds in Israel are moving around. Abraham and his descendants lived in that area, the Negev. And uh, Jacob, especially, just south of Jerusalem, in this area called Hebron. That's where he and his sons were taking care of their sheep. And as they would do so, they would be in that area. It's just, you know, 15 miles or so from Jerusalem, and it's a it's a pretty good place to be. It's, it's a, a mild place in the winter. It would be like if you lived somewhere around Oregon or in that area and you thought, uh, we need to go somewhere for the winter. Let's go down to Phoenix. Or if you're up in the, um, in the Yankee land of the northeast, you say, hey, I don't want to be in the winter here. 
we're going to go down to Florida. Uh, this Negev would be the place that you would go in the wintertime in Israel. The climate is good in the winter. But between May and September, the heat soared and the rains ceased. And so if you had sheep in and around Hebron or in and around the Negev, you would have to be migratory. And so they would take up their tents and they would move north and they would go to other places. If you remember the 37th chapter of Genesis, it's the story of Joseph and some of our life groups are studying through that story right now. But if you remember, Joseph is a 17-year-old guy and he is tending his father's sheep with his brothers in and around where they live. But sometime later, the brothers have taken the sheep north. And Joseph's dad, Jacob, says to him, I, I want you to go check on the boys and bring back word to me about how things are going. So Joseph takes off and he goes to Shechem. He thinks that's where they are. So when he gets to Shechem, he's looking for them, can't find them. And he asks a local, hey, have you seen my brothers? And they say, he says, oh, yeah, they've been here, but they've gone on north. Well, he finally finds them about 100 miles from home. Now, I don't know about you, but I've often thought, now, how does a teenager without an iPhone and GPS and Google Map find where his brothers are pasturing sheep a hundred miles from home <laughs> i'll tell you how that happens this is the same circuit that has been moved throughout the generations from their family and i would say could even be rooted all the way back to abraham and isaac as they were tending sheep because as the fields changed with the climate so the sheep had to be moved to where there is green pastures and so you can just see how they would know, how Joseph would know, this is the route that we take as a family as we're raising our sheep. We're moving them around. So as we look back several hundred years later, nearly 800 years later, David is on the scene, and David is doing the same thing. David is following around his sheep. He begins just north of where Joseph would he begins in the area of Bethlehem that looks a lot like this on the screen right now in fact this is that region and he would begin grazing his sheep there and then he would move north in and around the Sea of Galilee and those journeys were just absolutely imperative for the survival of the sheep they could not survive without that they had to be moving around now as essential as the green pastures are so essential is the path to those pastures so you and i are often thinking about the end result the end result is green pastures and water to drink but the shepherd is thinking about the right path to those green pastures for think about it for a moment if the shepherd chooses the wrong path then the safety and provision of the sheep is in jeopardy if the shepherd is going down a wrong path, he will take those sheep to a canyon mistakenly. He'll take them to sheep lands without water or pasture lands that have been overgrazed or places where sheep are vulnerable to thieves or to prey. Unless the shepherd knows the right pathway, the sheep are in jeopardy. 
and the goodness of the sheep will never come about the shepherd must lead the sheep in the right way so they can ultimately experience good no wonder david says that our shepherd leads us in the path of righteousness it's not just ultimately we're going to be in heaven where there is glory and righteousness but it's the path that we're being led in righteousness that is just as important that we are led by the good shepherd on a path of righteousness and we often say and it's true life is a journey and that is true that life is a journey but you and i need to reckon that the good shepherd has the journey in mind he knows the way to go in order for us to have righteousness in a righteous way of living and in the end he will be honored and glorified in that pathway of righteousness so our shepherd guides us in the path of righteousness in every season now catch this for a moment if you've been in Israel, you know that the terrain can be very difficult. That it's a very arid, desert, rocky, difficult to traverse land. So the pathways are absolutely essential. In your life, it's the same way. Your life is not all easy. Your life comes with immense difficulties at times. It might be physical, it might be spiritual, it might be emotional, but you have difficulties and there are valleys that you go into and there are mountains that you climb. There are broad paths that you take with a whole lot of people around you and there are narrow pathways that it seems just you alone. Some pathways you enjoy and other pathways you don't care for. Sometimes it's a wonderment and other times it's a wonder why. But in all times, at all places, the sheep of Christ who are being led by him, no matter how difficult or no matter how good, it is a pathway of righteousness. It's the right path. Even if it's a difficult journey, difficult experience, it's the right pathway because you are led by a good shepherd who leads us on a righteous path and in the end we will declare that his name is good that we will all come to that conclusion he knows our destiny so he knows how to lead us there he knows what is good and he leads us there he knows how to provide for us and he leads us to that provision god's plan for us is guiding us teaching us counseling us walking with us and it's the right pathway can I just remind you that God is primarily interested in the eternity for us. You and I are often focused on the temporary. But God has placed us on a journey of righteousness that is meant for eternity. Sure, the temporary things may be difficult. There may be harsh realities that we really didn't want to live through. There may be people that we have loved, that we've lost. There, there may be lives that we're living that are filled with pain and disease and sickness there might be emotional turmoil there there may be cataclysmic events that you've experienced and faced and yet to face but i can tell you the good shepherd knows the pathway of righteousness that ultimately ends to your good surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and in the end i will live in the house of the lord forever that's the path of the good shepherd so although the life journey with christ the shepherd might be difficult 
we should pause along the way to say it is good and it is right that's why the the pathway is for his namesake in the end when everything is settled and all justice is complete in the end when you and i are made perfect in christ by our faith in him and we are settled into eternity the new heaven and the new earth we will look back on our journey and we will remember all those times and we will say and it is good and it is good and throughout eternity we will proclaim the goodness of our shepherd not just in the here and now in eternity but even looking back and seeing the goodness of God in the midst of hard times we will see his grace we will see his counsel and we will know that he has been good at the end of the journey we're going to stand in his presence as we're made like him in his glory and each of us will praise him unceasingly about the righteous path that we traversed up mountains and down valleys through rocky deserts and lush plains through crowded passageways and narrow foothills we will look back on those pathways that Jesus has led us to travel and we will know his glory and we will give proclamation to all of his creation that he is good. Maybe that's why we so love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. How does it end? He will direct your path. That's exactly right. Because he's good. and We can trust him and we can declare his goodness. So be restored. Be righted in him. Be reconciled in him. And be led in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now would you pray with me? I just want to ask you for a moment if God as a good shepherd, is coming to you to restore you today. You're upside down. You're cast. You're vulnerable. You're weak. And you can't right yourself. And you need the good shepherd right now. Could I ask you just to recognize that he has come to you in his righteousness he comes in his goodness he comes and he restores you and he will bring you back with him into his fold would you receive that today and for others of you I ask you to acknowledge Jesus Christ is leading you on a path of righteousness oh it might be different than you are anticipating and it might be an experience that is filled with joys and sorrow but it is a righteous path which means it is right and it is righteous and I'm going to ask you to trust him today to lead you in that way and pause even today in whatever you have been experiencing or are and give him his due for he is good and he is right and he is true and though you might not understand it as it is today there will be a day in the future that it will make sense to the point that you will glory in his name 
So, Father, we trust you and we thank you for your goodness. We submit ourselves and surrender ourselves totally to you. We say, Lord, that you are our shepherd and we choose to follow you as sheep would follow the shepherd. We trust, Lord, in your provision for us, that you'll meet our every need according to your riches and glory. We trust you for all eternity. We can certainly trust you for today. And we thank you for the goodness of that. In the name of Jesus, amen.